Welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we cover how the environment, our society, and corporate governance affects and is affected by our economy. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato, coming to you live from my apartment. I hope everyone is staying safe. A bull market can blur the vision of the business and economic community. But once it begins to recede, pushed away by, say, a viral pandemic, it is like the receding of a tide and its absence reveals some of the long-term problems that our global economy has created, and perhaps some unforeseen adaptabilities. And this week, we are going to talk about four ESG reactions that have occurred in our economy due to the COVID pandemic. First, what it means for banks and companies to no longer issue dividends or conduct share buybacks. Second, we're going to talk about layoffs, why some companies that are out of business have kept their workers, and while others have fired them immediately, and why it can be dependent on where the company is located. Third, we're going to discuss how companies are or are not ensuring their workers are safe when they have to remain open after being labeled an essential business. And then lastly, we will discuss the adaptability of some companies and how this might change how ethical investors view what is termed sin stocks. I hope everyone is keeping safe out there. Thanks as always for joining us. Stay tuned. So as I said, today we are going to talk about four stories, market mechanisms, layoffs, at-risk workers, and company adoptability. So first, Rick Marshall joins us to discuss share buybacks and dividends, because on March 26th, the European Banking Federation told the largest lenders in its region to keep more cash on their books and to not use any of their capital for dividend payouts or share buybacks. Rick why did the European bank system decide to take this rather drastic action? So I think what the European Central Bank is saying here is it's critical that banks maintain enough cash flow uh, to support the rest of the system. The name of the game right now is cash management. Uh, do they have enough cash flow to do what they need to do to survive? Indeed, most companies are facing that question. Um, and in the case of the banks, they play a critical role uh, in that they already hold much of the corporate debt um, that um, will be of concern to, to other companies. Uh, they also will be one of the sources that companies will look to if they need to borrow more money. Um, and so th this is a critical first step, really, uh, in terms of getting a, a grip on the, the recovery for, for virtually every region. I mean, we've seen similar discussions in uh, New Zealand uh, and Australia um, and parts of other parts of Asia. Uh, this is, this is going to be a question that will have to be addressed in every market. Right. And I know when the U.S. provided it's about around $2 trillion of bailout money, it puts some limitations on making dividend payments or using that bailout money to buy back shares. Basically, if a company took the bailout money, then they need to not use it for share buybacks or dividends. But the, this move by, the, by a central bank to do this is a uniquely European action. It's unlikely that the U.S. Fed would stipulate such things in total without special legislation like what we're seeing with this bailout. And this is done in part, uh, as you were alluding to, the need for companies to have enough cash 
to keep afloat for as long as possible. There are already difficult decisions being made by companies around capital. You know, should you keep your workforce on or should you do something else with that money? Uh, it's something that Arna and I are gonna talk about next. But buybacks are done for various reasons. Okay, they include c company consolidation, equity value increase, because the company's actually paying shareholders for their shares, and for the company to look more financially attractive. And it might not be a bad thing for the market economy, but many would argue that especially while there's such inequality in the world and a crisis going on, that money would be better used elsewhere, at least optically, which I feel is what the regulators are saying in the EU and the politicians are saying in the US. They're saying, look, we have a Great Depression type problem on our hands. Uh, the U.S. has just had the highest number of unemployments in, in an age since it was since it started uh, recording unemployment filings at 6.6 million. Uh, the last record was around 700,000, I believe, in the 1980s. And if we see companies using bailout money to do anything but help workers, I believe we're going to see some massive pushback. That's most likely the case. Um, you, you know, ideally, companies would have been thinking about this six months ago, a year ago, uh, but they weren't. They were looking at a um, uh, an environment where we had this extended bull market. Share prices were up, so you know, capital costs were low, um, and interest rates were very low. So it was easy to borrow money, and um, the idea of borrowing money to buy back shares seemed to make sense for many boards. Um, in the current environment, that's no longer the case, and the stark reality is that if you're, you're going into this situation um, with a lot of debt on your books, you're already way, way behind, and your prospects for coming out of this hole um, are even less than they would have been if you weren't carrying that much debt. Right, and if you're carrying a lot of debt and there isn't government assistance, such as what can happen in a state that doesn't have a robust welfare system, uh, you might need to start cutting costs quickly. And that often starts with layoffs, which have begun in mass around the world as businesses shut down and operations grind to a halt. And Arna Klug is here now because Arna covers the auto and airline industry, one of the harder hit sectors. And Arna, I was hoping you could take us through your thought process when you see major layoffs happening in the sector. You've seen it happen in the auto industry and you're now seeing it with airlines. So if we are talking about layoffs, there might be like two obvious questions that come into your mind. The one is why and the other one is how. And with layoffs, the why question can be really challenging. I mean, sometimes it's obvious a company financially struggling often doesn't have a choice, in particular in the current COVID-19 crisis. But there's also a, a reputational dimension in times of a crisis. If a company lays off thousands of workers, but senior management receives big bonuses or increases their pay, or if they're like huge dividend payouts to shareholders, this will most likely create a lot of public criticism and stakeholder opposition. But maybe we should not focus too much on the why question. The question we should draw our attention to is how do companies manage business restructuring? This is a super important um, aspect. So does the company have a restructuring policy? Um, does the company provide any severance pay or job assistance without placement to its employees? Are there re-employment or retiring programs in place? So anything that goes beyond a drastic hire and fire approach. And this is normally good for employees, right? But also good for companies. Um, if they help 
employees in this hard restructuring process, companies could potentially avoid labor disputes with unions and massive strikes and work stoppages or a declining morale among the remaining employees. And not only that, I mean, once the crisis is over, there needs to be a quick revamp of the economy and, and the companies that alienated the workforce possibly might have a tough time getting them back as there's a mad rush to hire. However, until that blessed time of the COVID reversal, there needs to be a proper support for the unemployed and often companies cannot handle the pressing need. And this is where locational differences come into play, how things work in Europe versus elsewhere. And, and you're located in Germany, so I'm curious what is happening there to ensure you don't have millions upon millions of unemployed as the economy slows. As an automobile analyst, I mean, I have to check where companies are operating and so where automakers employ people. And the industry is a very important employer in many countries. In Germany, the auto industry directly employs roughly uh, 800,000 people. And I mean, between those countries, the car makers operating, um, there are really large gaps in terms of employee rights and protection mechanisms. Um, when I compare, for example, the US, Germany and China, there are huge gaps. At the same time, the industry is quite unionized, so strong unions actually also um, were, is like a feature of the industry and helped a bit to protect the employees. So talking about my home country, in Germany, we have this thing called Kurzarbeit. A proper English translation might be short-term work. And um, maybe let me briefly explain how it works, actually. So... I mean, in times of a crisis, a company might have to dismiss its people or to reduce the working hours or the pay simply to survive. And in such a case, um, the German state steps in and covers a share of the salaries. So it will be 60% of the net wage of an employee, which will be paid by the state. And if a person has children, the share will even be a bit higher, 67%. So Kurzarbeit is an instrument that actually helps both companies and employees. For employees, the salaries are secured and the companies, they do not have to dismiss the people. They save costs, they can keep their staff and be ready to scale up the production after the crisis. So the scheme worked pretty well in the past, especially in the last financial crisis. So economists actually said that it really helped Germany to recover so quickly in the years after the crisis. And this concept does not only exist in Germany. Um, also other countries in Europe had introduced similar programs, not only countries with a strong welfare tradition, Sweden or Denmark, but also the UK and Southern European countries. But this instrument also has some limits, basically because it's very expensive, it creates a lot of costs, And um, at the end of March, half a million companies in Germany have applied for this Kurzarbeit scheme. And the government expects that related costs will reach roughly 10 billion euros. Oh, right. And I think that also says that there will be regions where companies that lay off their workers might be villainized more than others, whereas companies in better welfare states might avoid that sort of stakeholder controversy as their staff can be supported for at least a year, you know, in Germany's case, and, and ready to go again when this all recedes. But there are, are, but actually there are some industries that are still open even during this crisis, ones that are deemed 
being essential industries. And I'm talking about healthcare workers and food retail workers, for example. And you cannot talk about food retail or distribution labor right now without talking about the big box retailers like Amazon. And so Olga Milianova is here, one of my colleagues on the MSCI ESG research team uh, and part of our editorial team. And Olga, I think there has been you know, much reporting on the protests by workers at large grocers and suppliers like Amazon and elsewhere. Uh, there was controversy at Alibaba at one point where workers felt they were both being put in harm's way, weren't being appropriately compensated for that harm, and weren't being protected by the companies they help keep in business. And, but before we go into this, I just want to give a shout out to Jigmanu and Leslie Swingado, who really helped Olga and I out with this section, and our colleagues on the research team, and they're great, and they deserve more than a shout out, but you know, that's all I got. Uh, anyway, Olga, I'm curious, as an, as an ESG analyst, how would you look to see if companies had the proper procedures in place that would keep their staff safe during this dangerous time? I think that's this has been um, an area of, of, of focus, uh, and particularly for the larger uh, retailers that may already be kind of plagued with some of the instances of not necessarily prioritizing worker safety or um, uh, showing some of the strong work uh, workplace relationships. So, well, yeah, and but what are the long-term ESG risks you see being created by these companies' decisions? Uh, will these labor controversies that some of these big box retailers and elsewhere globally uh, have a long-term effect on how we view ESG risks at these companies, how their stakeholders view them, how their customers view them? Oh, yes, of course. I think both short-term and long-term. And I think in the short-term, companies are starting to to react to this labor movement and opposition and understand that whatever it is that they're doing, it's not enough. And, you know, again, on the Amazon just recently, like this week, uh, according to the Los Angeles Times, Amazon finally started to provide daily temperature check-in for their Whole Foods employees, as well as the Amazon uh, warehouse. So that that's kind of an immediate reaction where the company understands that there's something wrong in how it's handling uh, the crisis and, and, and how it's protecting the employees. But for the long term, you know... I don't think this is enough, and don't don't take me wrong. All of those things that we discussed, they're obviously positive steps, and uh, it is a lesson learned. But I'm not quite sure how much it's going to be affecting the long-term, um, let's say, corporate culture towards their workforce. And that is something that, um, you know, established over time, and I think maybe this COVID is a is a big task for the companies to see and connect the dots to see how important it is to invest into your workforce to to show the workplace is taken care of and protected to build that trust and to build that culture yeah for sure and i think COVID isn't just changing how we view employer employee relations and the cultural impact that dynamic can have but it's changing entire company cultures and creating interesting questions for companies that were previously labeled as, quote, sin stocks. And sin stocks are what the early ethical investors called the stocks of tobacco, pornography, gambling, gun, and alcohol companies. And they were the first, these, these sin stocks were the first companies excluded from early ESG investor portfolios. But now during COVID, some of these companies are doing really well, especially alcohol companies, since everyone is just chilling in their homes without much to do. And I wanted to discuss about this bump that these companies are getting. And to talk about this, I have with me Joseph Williams, who is our screening and stock exclusion director. And Joseph, tell me about this 
this surge of sin stocks. I mean, everybody's drunk, right? I mean, everybody's... I'm drunk right now. You're probably drunk. <laughs> well, well, I'm not drunk right now, but, but give me a few hours. It's still early in the morning. Um, you know, this, this is really a good question. Uh, companies that produce, distribute, and, and retail alcohol have long been the target of, of the ethical investing community. Um, th- these divestment efforts... Uh, have you know that that are concerned with what has been labeled as sin stocks really did constitute the the, the first stirrings of of what we now call ESG investing, uh, but you know instead of focusing on alcohol, uh, there there are other industries uh, as well uh, that that um, you know are targets of various divestment efforts or divestment policies that are thriving in the current climate. Uh, physical casinos, for instance, are shut down due to restrictions of having large gatherings, uh, but we are seeing online gambling uh, having a large increase with some providers claiming uh, that in the past three weeks, new users are signing up at double the normal rate. Uh, but, but I think the most acute example of this is with firearm and ammunition manufacturers. In March, and then this was just released uh, today, uh, but, but in March, the U.S. saw a record number of, of FBI background checks to check uh, for, for you know, firearm purchases. And, and this number beat it's you know beat the second highest march on record by over a million applications or thirty five percent. So so you know, let me just say that again. In this month, out of all the months in in the history of you know firearm purchases, as long as this as long as the NICS background checks uh, program has been in place, um, in March it had the most applications for firearms ever. Uh, so, so you know, from from these examples, there's a couple of things to take away. Um, you know, some activities that that are good, that are being targeted by divestment campaigns, whether they're sin stocks, whether they uh, are you know uh, firearm related, you know, ethical uh, for or, or restricted for ethical reasons, they're they're going to be demand. Uh, they're going to be in demand in, in any kind of situation. And, and the second thing that, that I take away from this is uh, certain activities uh, are going to see a huge surge uh, when you have an environment that, that causes uncertainty and fear like the one that we find ourselves in. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, that's such a high number for firearms. I guess I guess they think they're going to shoot the virus or something or, or we're going to see a breakdown in society. Um, but, I, you know, I think that that's interesting with the gambling as well. But I do want to turn us back to the alcohol companies because uh, there's this phenomenon happening where it seems like wartime, where uh, distilleries and breweries are, are fitting new supplies up where they can now make hand sanitizer. And they're using that hand sanitizer to help in the virus effort. And I'm wondering if that changes, uh, specifically alcohol companies, if that changes how ethical investors who might screen out these companies previously might one day view alcohol companies that actually helped out in preventing the spread of COVID. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a question that uh, investors are, are pondering currently. Um, you know, basically, will these positive efforts that, that companies are working on uh, to assist in keeping the population healthy uh, cause these investors uh, that are, are currently looking to uh, implement some kind of divestment policy be hesitant in restricting these involved companies? Um, do, do I think that the goodwill 
that they're building up with with these you know special programs uh, are, are are going to change ethical investors' minds. Um, so far, I haven't seen any indication of this with you know the communication with our with with, with our clients and in my discussions with with investors that have ethical investment policy. But it's definitely something that that we're going to keep an eye on uh, because if it does, you know, if if, if this you know this goodwill that that they're building with, with these activities do start to you know sway some of the, the perception of the industries in in, in the ethical investing uh, realm uh, then we may need to uh, think about adding additional granularity to the screen saying okay this company of course is involved in uh, alcohol manufacturing but also uh, they they have done or they've allocated this much resources in order to provide this uh, service to the population et cetera et cetera And that's our show for the week. I want to thank Rick and Arna and Olga and Joseph for helping me sort through the COVID crisis with an ESG lens. Also, Jingmin and Leslie for helping us do a lot of prep. And I want to thank you so much for listening. I hope we were able to give you some entertainment and information during this devastating pandemic. Stay safe and talk to you next week. MSCI ESG Research podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.